The amount of times people must have been recorded and then... Recording now, you dickhead. Okay. <clears throat> Are you ready to go? Five minutes ago, mate. Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast. With me, Andy White, and with me today, huge One Direction fan, Martin Theobald. Look at him, sprightly and young. Sprightly and young. Yes! And Chief Beard Coma, Perry Chapandama. Man, I'm looking at myself here. It's like a fucking mirror. How are you guys doing? <laughs> all good. Well, yeah, say all good. I've got COVID, so... Yeah, I'm all right. Mate, it's all that 5G you've been hanging around. Yeah, well, I rang up Josh Taylor and he said, no, COVID doesn't exist. So I haven't got it, it turns out. <laughs> um, um, we are the greatest podcast in the sport. Is that correct? No, you've got to give it Terry's intro. Welcome back <laughs> to the best podcast in the sport. No, if we're going to yeah. do it properly, we're going to do it properly, right? We're going to go, welcome to the original the greatest, the template, the one that everybody else tried to follow. Yeah. The number one, the original, the greatest podcast in the sport where Rob Tebb is still jimmying up the numbers. <laughs> We're off. We're off. <laughs> uh, I the other day, I was listening, I don't know if it was this morning or uh, one of the other ones, I think it was this morning, you said about the uh, decline in numbers of Hearn content across yeah. the um, And I'd noted the same thing, actually. Um, and then I was thinking back to where you'd said about the content providers pumping the numbers. And was there not the money to keep pumping the numbers particularly? Or is it that there's less enthusiasm and less interest? L- less ROI. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, that's, what, that's what happened. Like, all the... Because the standard model had always been, if you were one of these outlets and you were pro matchroom, you got that zone marketing budget. So that meant that they paid for the hotels and they paid for a stipend. You, you got your per diem. You got looked after really, really well. In return for, obviously, you know, going soft on matchroom. And what happened is they just realized that wasn't doing anything. It wasn't worth it. And so they said, well, we're still going to waste our money anymore. They've not sent through our per DMs for a long time. Mate, you just get yours in pillowcases and duvet covers, right? <laughs> and abuse. I need to ask you, your, your, your podcast intro, because you only started doing that intro about a uh, month, two months ago. Welcome back to the greatest podcast, or the best podcast in the sport of boxing where. Was that in direct relation to, there was some troll account that had put something where you'd put it about being the best podcast and some troller, I can't, is it the, oh, I can't remember, uh, Boxeologic or something, had put, had put a comment up. And I, I'm sure it started from that, and it was like a direct fuck off. 
Do you know oh, what? Joe wouldn't do that. So, so no. So, number one, like most of those accounts, I've got blocked anyway. So, I don't, I don't see the, the negative side of boxing. I've got, I've got that dude blocked. He's a fucking knobhead. If you don't see the negative box side of boxing, there must be about two Twitter accounts that aren't blocked on your entire feed. Yeah, you, you, you and Martin. That's it. <laughs> Oh, there's not much boxing content that comes out of my Twitter. Let me hey, tell I'm, you. I'm, I'm just there for the Twisted Echo updates. <laughs> since the last time we um, since the last time we recorded, absolutely no one in the world of Twitter or boxing has missed my uneducated, uninformed, uninformed opinions. I can tell you that for an absolute fact. Which makes me wonder who on earth wants this podcast we keep getting pestered for I'm thinking what you mean is you want to listen to Terry and Martin on the same podcast so Terry why don't you just pull Martin to your podcast and then everyone will be happy I'm not no, really, no. I offer a lot I think you just want to hear Terry it's not me no, 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 no. <laughs> Yo, they, they want to hear Andy I, I genuinely think like you, you've built up this kind of sympathy you're like the I don't even know how to describe it he's like the limp leg of a dog Thanks, thanks, friends. That's You're right. like Tracy Neville, right? Like you know, I'm like Tracy like, Neville as well. Like Gary and Jesus Phil Christ, right for themselves, made a few quid, and you have got Tracy Neville, who's probably the more accomplished athlete out of the three of them, and that you know she's still begging them for mortgage deposit money. <laughs> You're right, Andy. How you doing, mate? How you doing, Tracy? Well, I mean, in context. You know, in context, none of that is... I couldn't argue with most of that. It just, you know, when it comes from your mates... <laughs> Man, that's, a that's, that's a bit of a leap as well, to be fair. <laughs> I right, we'll just call Eric you Andrew Gotts. Ridgely. I don't know. What about that guy, that, that guy in Bross that didn't sing? <laughs> Bez. I'm either Bez. I'm the Bez. I am the Bez of the, of the, of the New Age Boxing Podcast. Nah, you're, you're Millie Vanilli. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, now that we've, now that we've mugged you off for five minutes. Yeah, now I've got royally mugged off, which, again, I can't really argue too much with because I think it's probably about right. And I can't believe that most people listen to this and are like, thank God Andy's back. What does he think to literally any fight in the last six months? No, maybe not six months, but about three months, I have not watched or paid attention to. Um, as, as long as everyone knows, we're going to have to slaughter some people today. As, as long as people know, that's that's really why they ask for the podcast. We're going to have to slaughter some yeah, people. Yeah, probably that, to be fair. So, so I hope it's you've all, you all got your victims in mind. As long we've as brought some sacrificial mind, lambs along. <laughs> Andy's drinking. I mean, for, yeah. I'm not sure that's a great idea, but we'll carry on. Yeah, if it feels a bit early, but okay. <laughs> that's well, I, I did wonder, but then after the last three or four minutes, I think it's actually a good idea to try and get me through. So what are we doing here? <clears throat> um, what's actually, I mean, Taylor, why don't you tell me what's actually happened? Try and sum up the last three months. You're the fucking host. You're the fucking what? host. You're <laughs> what? You're the host. Yeah, no, that's why I'm getting you contributors. Tell me, what's happened in boxing in the last three months? Um, uh, Sky came back. Eddie's upset. Matchroom kind of suck. People are still fighting at Frank Warren shows. Pro Bellum turned up and they are not linked to MTK in any way whatsoever. Seems but, legit. On, on that subject, like, you must be fuming if you're like a, like a Danny Dignam, right? Because you know you, you're, you're basically you're on the B team right now, aren't you? 
Yeah. Like, everyone on MTK is on the B team. Until you get put on that pro bellum stage, you're on the B team, right? You're in the feeder, you're in the feeder club. And they didn't even see it coming. And he didn't, right? Let's touch on that quickly. Because he was meant to be fighting Linus for the British. They both got mandated um, by the board. That was going to go to purse bids in January. And um, Lee Eaton went on Twitter going, ah, oh, you know, Sauerland's had, or Wasserman had, had better have their, their pockets deep for this one because we're going to go deep. Um, and then they were like, oh, we might be going and doing something bigger, something better elsewhere. Oh, yeah, really exciting. He's fighting, who is it? Dennis Grant. Grant Dennis. Grant De- sorry, Grant Dennis. <laughs> His brother. His cousin, rather. <laughs> no, so the thing is... WBO I, I, European. The WBO yeah. European. Come on, man. So, so I'll say this, right? I'm not averse to a Dignam versus Dennis fight, but if you're offered the British title, I, I don't see why you would swerve that. Yeah, for a WBO European. Like, if it was something good, but it's not. It's something wank that looks a little bit plasticky. Like, it's not a, you know, recognised, it's not going to be one for your legacy when Dignam retires, he's going to hang on the wall. Um, whereas fighting liners, it didn't even go to purse bid, so there was no talk there around what money it would be or anything like that. Um, I find that really disappointing. I wanted to see Dignam versus Linus Shadofia. That'd be a cracking fight. So so who does that leave? That kind of just leaves Denzel, right? I would have thought, yeah, Denzel. Or Fowler. Fowler's not even fought a weight yet, has he? No, but but you know what they do. They just, no, I, I, I get what you mean, but it seems an odd one that you would just chuck Fowler. I don't even know who the other um, who the other middleweights are that are around there that could take it. Oh, well, not not Jack Cullen, that's for sure. Oh, he's, is he awake yet? Poor guy. Like, I just that middleweight thing's really really strange, right? Because you got Eubank and Liam Williams who are kind of... They're out there on their own to an extent. But after that, it's kind of hit and miss as you go down that list. So if you, if you want to look for a money fight for the British title, I don't think you see much past Linus versus Denzel. No, I'm just looking now, right? So Eubank, top, Williams, second. Sam Eggington is the third highest ranked middleweight. Okay. Uh, Felix Cash, <laughs> Dignam, Fowler, Bentley, Brian Rose. <laughs> then Linus Shadofia, then Bradley Rea, or Ray, um, Grant Dennis, Tyler Denny, Agiarco. That'll do. I'm not mind seeing that. If it's not going to be Denzel. That, that, that'd be a hell of a fight. Yeah. He's 10 and 0. Linus is uh, 14. 17 and 0. Um, Whoa. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I, the point of it is, I'm just surprised that they took Dignam out of that. Like, why? So I'll give you my theory on this. I've always suspected with both Dignam brothers that, and, and we, God, I, I talk about the same teams continuously. You can get away with being physically fragile in the amateurs because it's only three, three minute rounds. Most people can survive that, if nothing else. I don't think they're physically designed for the pros. You know, there's some people who just aren't robust. And it's not that they don't have parts. It's nothing about them as men. It's their physical constitution. I don't know if you want to be getting in with someone like a Linus. That's a physically hard fight. Like, you've got to have some, some skeletal mass behind you to do that. 
and they seem to carry a lot of injuries. Both Bigman brothers seem to just carry a lot of injuries. Yeah, he's been out a long time, hasn't he? But, uh, yeah, I just, Grant Dennis fight for WBO European. I'm disappointed. Because I was looking forward to the Dignam Eudocia fight. I quite like Grant Dennis, though. As, as a boxer, Grant Dennis isn't bad. Oh, it's, it's nothing against Grant Dennis at all. It's just, it's the belt that I don't see the point in. Yeah. The fight itself uh, is all right, but I'd rather and, see, see the two that were asked to fight for it. But. And that's why they're not on Pro Bellum. Like, you got to, you know, certain fights you've got to take to make it onto Pro Bellum. No, because Pro Bellum and MTK have not got any links whatsoever. Not even a feeder club? Full stop. Full st- <laughs> oh, yeah, shit, I said that, didn't I? Uh... Um, ah, do you know what that pro bellum stuff I don't know how far we want to go into this or not really um, yeah. well it, life insurance has kicked in I'm okay <laughs> um, I don't know great you have your first show out in Dubai and you have your photos taking or your fighters taking photos of Daniel Kinahan and posting them on social media like okay <laughs> Okay, fair enough. If that's the route we're going down as a boxing institution, is it sensible? Is it responsible? And I know, Do you know what that's like, right? Yeah, you know that's like it's like. Remember when sometimes you'd go out, you didn't want people to know who you were, so you made up a fake name, right? Yeah. And you got four hours into the fake name, and then someone just called you by your real name. That's what that feels like. <laughs> you go through all that effort to say Probellum's <laughs> this new entity, this brand new entity, right? And everyone's probably sat there with Daniel Kinnan going. Maybe you shouldn't come to this one. Right? Like, like, let's let's do a few, and then you can come down. And he's like, "Ah, oh, they'll never know. It's boxing fans. What the hell do they know? They will never know." And he just showed up. Yeah, and then they plaster it all over social media. And I think, right, you're telling us you're not MTK, and yet you've got Kinahan there with your fighters. I mean, the Kinahan thing. Anyone MTK related will, I'm sure, just say, you know, he's he's not a criminal. There's no conviction. Cool. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, but is it the most responsible thing in a sport that is renowned for being the wild west of sports? It's not a great look, is it? Really, it's it's, it's probably just like mate. I was just driving past. I heard all the noise. Thought I'd pop in and see what's happening. I heard all the noise of a Sunny Edwards fight. Crowd couldn't contain themselves. Mate, you know, you know, I can't comment on that. Uh, we'll, we'll just say that he gave the fans what they wanted. <laughs> Twelve rounds of non-stop action, <laughs> guaranteed every single fight. Uh, you've gone no, soft, Sonny. You've gone soft on Sonny, haven't you? Do you know what? I think I'm walking away from this kind of online Twitter beef. Yeah, stuff. good. And and I have been for a while for this for no other reason than I serve the you energy. Need it? You've completed Twitter beef. Well, I'm I'm definitely undefeated, right? Because. <laughs> And, and, and I said this in the previous episode, when I found out people are offering tickets for dirt on me, and I'm like, well, where was it? Where's the dirt? There's nothing. You won't find anything. Now, nah, whenever, whenever I see you engage in that stuff, I think you're better than that. Like, nobody wins in a, a Twitter argument. Nobody comes out looking splendid out of it. No. You're better than that, man. Just block people. Just move on. That's what I do now. Now I just, I just block them. And I'll tell you what brought it home. Like, when I was at the the Dan Aziz fight and I bumped into Spencer Fearon and like he was talking about Porky and like I've known Spencer years I've never seen Spencer legit angry like that like legit angry and and so you have to remember it's me Spencer 
and a couple of people from the boxing media industry. I don't want to put their names out there because, you know, they might not want to be known. And so they're looking at me like, what's this all about? And I have to be honest and say, you know, this is some Twitter podcast stuff. And they're looking at his reaction going, this is crazy. And I said, actually, do you know what? I get why he's angry. Like, I, I'm one of these, like, if you're going to have a, a boxing disagreement with someone, like with me and Tebbit, I've, I've kept it, I've kept it related to what we're all involved in. But I'm not, but I'm not bothered about his family, what goes on in the back. I said, that's not my business. Boxing is my business. So I keep it there. I don't. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I take Boris Johnson's approach to defining things, keep it as loose as possible. Nice and grey. <laughs> so, so, so when I saw how angry he was, and I said, this isn't worth it. I said, this isn't worth it. And then I bumped into Dean White later. He wasn't as angry, but he was like, yo, that porky guy, man. And I, you know what? Like, I know Russell's a good man. So I'll always say, listen, he's a good man. He got caught up in the moment. And now we're in a position where no one can walk back from. And I'm just like, this all over a sport you guys don't even participate in. Really? And so that's why I've just kind of said, look, let me just zero in on what I find interesting. If people want to take shots at me, do whatever you want to do. You're just getting blocked because I don't need to hear it. That's all. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. It's, um, I don't see too much of it these days. But yeah, that whole, you know, I found it quite interesting, your recounting. I think you did about 72 episodes on the Dan Aziz fight, didn't you? Um, hey, record numbers, man. Like, <laughs> 72 episodes. <laughs> but I quite enjoyed them. I quite enjoyed the recounting yeah. of like being around the hotel and what have you. But um, yeah, that thing with Spencer and, uh, and Porky, you know, I listen into uh, when you and Porky do stuff and I even heard my shout out the other day. So shout out to you, Russ. I hope you're well, my friend. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you, I just always think you're all adults. Like what are you even, what are you fighting over or not fighting over or fighting online over? Like everyone just move on, will you? Come on. Yeah. Because, because one thing I've learned about this, like, so if you see with me, because I had to take, I have to take shit in the real world. Online stuff doesn't bother me. For me, like, I might be in the middle of a, of a budget meeting, right? And I'll just throw some shots on Twitter. Like, I don't even get involved in it. I just say, okay, what's the funniest thing I can say at this point? What's the most cutting thing I can say? And I'll just drop that. And I'll go back to talking about whether I want to spend another $2 million on machine learning or not. You know, whereas some people, like, they get so sucked into it, it starts to affect their spirit. And I was trying to explain to someone, who had a problem with Sonny Edwards. And I said, you see what Sonny does? And I said this on my own episode. He uses that stuff as fuel. Yeah. Because when, you, when you're his size, the way he is, you know he's been taking shit his whole life. There's nothing you can say to the man on Twitter that's going to affect him. So he just balls all that up and goes, right, watch what I go and do next. So all those guys who think they're going to get one over on him, I'm like, you ain't really going to affect him. Because if you've taken shit in the real world, this Twitter stuff, man, you just, you just shut the app down. Yeah, it's a shame Curtis Woodhouse and him never had a fight because, like, just from a a scientific perspective, I'd like to see Curtis Woodhouse, who can clearly box, was a British champion, but is now massively, you know, he's overweight, isn't he? And he's out of shape, but must weigh twice as much as Sonny Edwards these days against an athlete in his prime in Sonny Edwards who doesn't carry the pop in his punches. 
I want to see who'd actually win out of that if they went and got it on. That's a proper fight. Yeah, that, no ring, just just car park. That could headline a Dubai car park on a pro bellum show. <laughs> Yo, they could go to that car park where everyone leaves their Lamborghinis when they run off. What was that pro bellum one? <laughs> I did it in a car showroom. Which one? That last pro bellum one. They did it in some luxury car showroom. And so Isn't that Umar Kumani's gym? I've no idea. So Umar Kamani, the guy behind Boohoo Man, right? So he's got like a, basically, his boxing gym's just got all of his supercars in there. Well, it might well be then, but there was like, it was cut, I saw some clips of Joshua just kind of sat around ringside. And then there was just all these supercars behind him. It was the most mental thing I've ever seen. Was he talking about his magic triangle? Oh, that was brilliant. Where... <laughs> And what, what Joshua was saying in that instance makes perfect sense. It makes per- If the money is worthwhile for me to step aside with the knowledge that I get to fight the winner for more money afterwards, if he'd have just said that, every boxing fan would go, yeah, fair one, fair one, Anthony. No one's got a complaint with that. But he started going on about his brother's fucking property triangle. <laughs> and I, so I, did, I didn't understand it because, like, in, in tech, it's something we talk about a lot, like price, cost, quality, right? Because yeah. there's always a trade-off. And I was listening to him. So when he started, I knew where he was going. And I was like, I don't think Joshua's really grasped the concept properly. And I was just waiting for him to drown in his own stupidity. Because he didn't, like you said, he didn't, it didn't take long, did it? it the, that lifeboat got punctured very quickly. <laughs> it was lucky that, I mean, it was lucky that he wasn't being in, interrogated by someone like Uma. Because Uma would have just been like, what are you, talking, what are you on about? Yeah, that was... What's worse, that or suggesting that we should all be better because we've had time to evolve? Can I? Like coronavirus. So I'm going to go back to this. Joshua's Snapchat is worth the app alone, right? Like, I don't, I don't look, I don't watch what he does on any other social media platform apart from Snapchat because I know that's the only one he controls. So that was brilliant. <laughs> plug and a battery or something I'm like, what's that got to do with any it's, it's, it's the brilliance where no one has explained to him how genetic mutation works we're like mate I don't necessarily think it's planned I don't think they agree this a year in advance Femi right I don't think they say summer next year you know, we, need, we need a whole new look you know, the people, people are bored of us right now we need a whole new look and a whole new personality. I don't think it, I don't think it works <laughs> that way. I, I don't think he understands that microbes are in this really crazy war, right? Where the Delta variant doesn't want the Omicron to succeed. Like, it's, it's a war for basically the existence of the species. And this all happens at a level we don't see. So it's not really about <laughs> trying to be a better per- version of yourself. Also, the Omicron variant hasn't got a nine-to-five job and a family to look after and, and hobbies and stuff. Like, I haven't got the time of an Omicron variant. He needs to... <laughs> let's, 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 let's really zero in on Joshua here. What happened when he tried to be a better version of himself? Yeah? He lost his belts. So, <laughs> careful what you wish for. Just don't evolve. Just stay as you are, mate. But isn't that what he was saying? What was he say? It's all about TBF. Throwback fire. Oh, yeah. You clipped that the other day, didn't you? And uh, the start. Stop being humble. 
Yeah. Andy, what's your take on Joshua at the moment? I know you're uh, you're up to date with it. Yeah, I mean, that's the literally the literal opposite of how I am in regard. The last thing I remember seeing about Joshua was an interview where... He fought Pulev. And I, sorry? That's, that's the last you watched was when he fought Pulev. Yeah, it's not far off that. And the week, the week or two after that, I remember seeing an interview with him well, that's what I seem to remember it being a week or two afterwards. And he was, in effect, um, he was upset with the fact that he had not basically stuck to what he was good at. He felt that he he tried to box and win the admiration of, of those, tried to box his head off rather than stick to what he was good at. He tried that's to get a better version of himself, like the variants. <laughs> yeah, and and then he said, but I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that ever again. And at that point, I just, I mean, I just thought to myself, can't you make that decision in fight? I can't understand why you wouldn't go at the fifth round. Well, I can't do what I'm trying to do, so I might as well just stick to what I'm good at to win the fight. Why do you have to wait for the fight to end and go, oh, no, I'm losing my bills. Oh, man. Best thing about this before I make a decision. <laughs> Andy, if someone's making an analogy between self-improvement and a virus, I don't know if they're going to be making changes midway through a fight. Somehow. Yeah. You know, um, they, 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 in Africa, they would have repeated a few years at school. That's all I can say. What, like, what, what happens, what, what, what is on the cards now for the heavyweight division? I've, I, say, I say, I do not know anything, mate, so I'm just going to... Mate, mate, Andy, Andy, whatever you thought in 2017, still holds true now. Just change Wilder for Fury. So do you want the landscape as it sits, Andy? Yes, this is exactly what I want. So uh, I think in January, they're going to be sorting out a rematch date for Joshua Usyk. They tried to make um, Usyk against Fury for Undisputed and pay Joshua to step aside, but it seems as if that's not happening. So they are going to go ahead with the rematch which you can assume will be back end of quarter one next year. Um, or this year, if you're listening to it in like a week's time, because don't get, it's not going to be like 2023. We're talking 2022. Um, Some bloke listening to it on January the 1st, going, next year, this is bollocks. <laughs> I wonder this sport doesn't work. But Steve, you listen to this at 2am. There's no way they could have recorded it and uploaded it. But no, no, I'm not buying this. This is bollocks, man. Next year, this is ridiculous. Someone's listening to it at 2am on New Year's Day. They've had a time before New Year's Eve. Um, <laughs> and then you've got uh, the WBC. So uh, that's that's a brilliant scenario. So the WBC convention, they ordered Dillian White as the mandatory for Tyson Fury. But they didn't quite order him as the mandatory for Tyson Fury because he had an ongoing legal dispute against the WBC for not being made mandatory. Right. I had that. Actually, that is one of the last things I remember understanding. Yeah. That's, that's now been resolved and he's now the mandatory. Um, so he is the mandatory. Yeah. But there's a um, issue over what the purse splits will be because he's the what is he the WBC interim champion that he won after he beat up like COVID stricken Povetkin. Um so once he did that, yeah, he became the interim champion again. Why you need an interim champion when you've got a fighting champion, I don't understand. But um so the issue now is around purse splits. Because boxing. 
when you have an interim champion and Fury being the champion, the purse split becomes a bit dirty. So well, because they're both technically champions. Yes, I think the maximum White would be entitled to is 45% of any purse bid. So if it went to purse bids and it was £10, White gets £4.50, Fury £5.50. Um, yeah. But there's a lower end to that as well. And the WBC doesn't seem to have clarified to anyone what they're saying the purse split should be. So in the meantime, what I don't get is that Hearn could just turn up or turn it around. Bob Arum could just turn up and go... All right, well, I'll give you five million quid. I'll give you 10 million quid. I'll give you whatever. And then it doesn't matter what the splits are. It's just that's your amount of money plus X amount upside of the pay per view. Well, that, make, that makes sense. But from what I know about boxing, nine times out of 10, it's not about the money. It's about the prestige of the split or the percentage of the split and how much their ego is affected. So can, I give you, can I give you my Steve Goodwin take on this? I want to be Steve for a second. Here we go. Fury will just get the diamond belt. Or champion, he'll just go right. Give me Franch- a diamond belt. Franchise. Yeah, because it's irrelevant now, right? It's irrelevant what belt Fury has. It's actually the only person we care about having a belt is either Joshua Rusev. We know what Fury is now. Fury's kind of proved himself. We, he doesn't need a belt. So that fight for undisputed, they'll find a way to make it happen. I can see there being a diamond belt or a franchise champion. I don't see. I see Fury dragging this out and then just going, right, WBC, give me a franchise belt. And then Dillian's got to fight someone like, I don't know, Deontay. But I think Wilder's the next one in line, isn't he? Is, um... Yeah. I'll be all right with that. I, I, I genuinely don't care at this point. Like, we know Fury's in number one. We know Usyk's in number two, unless Joshua beats him in the rematch. Like, whatever it takes to make those two fight, just drop all the belts. But we've been saying this for the last seven years or whatever. Like, just ditch the belts. And how sad is it that aside from music, none of those names have changed? It's still Joshua Fury White. Wilder. Like, none of the Hergoviches, none of the Joyces have got up to that level yet. As, um, as well, I don't think they ever will get up to that level. Has Wilder decided who's going to fight yet? He hasn't announced if he's boxing on. Oh, he looks happy with life, though. There was a video of him. I thought he said he was going to fight on. No, I don't think he's confirmed it. Hmm. He's happy with life. He's he's just chilling. He's there with his with his wife, and you know that they all white party. He look. He genuinely looks happy. I don't know. You know when you see someone that happy, you're like, are you going to fight again? The man set a goal to make enough money to help his disabled daughter. He's done that ten times over. He doesn't yeah. need to fight again. Like, if he never fought again. Brilliant, because he's leaving the sport with his faculties. He's leaving the sport with a legacy. People can question that legacy, cool. But he's leaving the sport with all the money that he needs to support his disabled daughter. Yeah, his legacy can't be questioned. Yeah, oh, I, I think I'm in agreement with Terry there. Yeah. Oh, you came, you came unstuck against a freak of nature. I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there will be some that do question it. Like what they can't. Yeah, people you should block, Mark immediately. Yeah, I I know you're not questioning Mark. I know you're playing devil's advocate here, but for me, it's a situation um, a bit like I'm, I'm I'm. This is not the best um, comparison, but someone like Lewis Hamilton over he's had seven titles, and they'll say, "Oh, he's the fastest car and all that sort of stuff." Ultimately, someone has to win it, and if you're there to win it, and if you're the heavyweight champion and people just keep feeding you bums to fight and you defend your title over and over again, 
you know, it was either going to be me or someone else that, I mean, if Luis Ortiz was uh, the champion and just kept getting fed buns to fight constantly, then there would be some people in there like, well, Luis Ortiz is a boxer, so he can, yeah, protect himself and all that sort of stuff, and they wouldn't be so dismissive of him. So ultimately, someone had to be the champion, and he's yeah. just milked it for all it was worth. So good luck to him. But also remember with, with the Hamilton example, he, he helped Golden State. It's not like Hamilton just came in and went, guys, let's win titles. He said, okay, I, I believe in this project. Let's see where it goes. I, I'm, I'm one of those where I'm like, you can only do what you can do. Yeah. And Wilder's done what he could do. Like, I, I don't for a second believe Wilder ducked Joshua. Not for one second. No, I don't. I don't either. Not I now. don't believe Joshua ducked Wilder. I just, and we, we say this a lot, at that level, you're not, you're not scared of anyone. You know, we, we think of it like mortals, right? We think of it like nine to five. Like, oh my God, I wouldn't want to get knocked out. But that's their stock in trade. You know what I mean? That's it. It's like you, Andy, when you're in the army, right? After a while, what you did just became normal. Whereas, yeah. like... Wanking off in a tent. <laughs> Whereas I'm not just me, myself. If you put me in your position, I'd be sweating every day going, where, where the RPG is coming from. I'd be sweating. I remember there was there was one particular time when we was laying in bed one night, laying in the back of a truck, and we just heard loads of bang, like bang, 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 bang. And what you get used to is outgoing artillery fire. So you're just sitting there and you're hearing the art. It sounds like bombs are landing, but it's actually artillery fire going out. We're like, oh, the artillery's kicking off. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> and then and then someone just you just start hearing somebody shout through the you know, the, the back of the camp, whatever. They're like, get out. And like, we've been mortared. <laughs> and there was like, there's like mortars landing all around us. Oh, that's what it was. Um, I don't remember being particularly bothered about it because it was so, like that sort of thing, your life being in danger so much. Well, I'm either going to die or I'm not. My, there's no point panicking about it. That's not going to achieve anything. Let's get out of town. So we, we just set off on a convoy. But I understand what you mean. When it's your stock in trade as a boxer, you, you wouldn't last for long. You certainly wouldn't get to champion of the world if you were worried about getting knocked out to the point where you didn't take fights or you didn't take challenges up. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. And yeah, going back to it, I hope Wilder doesn't fight again. If that was his goal at the beginning, he's reached his goal. He's probably exceeded his goal beyond his wildest dreams. If we never see him fight again, I'm fine with that. It creates yeah. space at that top level as well. Yeah, uh, you know, let's see a Hergovic. Who's like, what's Hergovic doing? Anyone got a clue? At least Yoka. Yoka's fighting Martin Bacoli. Well, that's Yoka, right? Yeah, yeah. But I say Yoka's fighting Martin Bacoli in January. Like, cool. Let's see what level Yoka's at right now because Martin Bacoli's a solid enough win if he gets it. Um, right. Here, here's a question for you. Who, straight off the who would you say was the, uh, allow me to start from the basics here, who would you say was the best boxer out of Fury, Wilder and Joshua? Fury. Fury. So my question is, therefore, someone like Joshua, someone like Wilder, is the next generation going to get to be able to get to that level or have Joshua and Wilder got to the levels they, or the perceived levels they have because of the pool of talent around them? So let's start to look at how they got there. Joshua hasn't fought many people his size. 
Wilder hasn't fought many people his size. And I think, yeah, we talked about this ages ago. What's going to make it really interesting is Joyce is 6'6". Six, six. Hergovich is 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, Yoke is about 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, and they can all box. Like they're all good technicians. They're elite-level amateurs. You've got a gold medalist, a silver medalist, and a bronze medalist there. Right? So these are guys who can fight, and they can also punch. So when they get to that level where they're knocking on the Joshua door, the Wilder door, the Fury door, they're posing a set of problems that these guys have never had to deal with before. And that's what's going to make it really interesting. And then you've got the young kid, Jared Anderson, who's on top rank. And he poses a whole different set of challenges in terms of being a hell of a boxer, being a good combination puncher as well. And show how the smaller heavyweights should do it, even though he's six foot four and 17 stones. I don't know how you call him smaller, but he's one of the smaller heavyweights who's coming up. And then, you know, can Shane do something with Daniel Dubois? I can't wait. I can't wait to see Frank Sanchez unravel at the top level. Well, let's, let's, we'll see. Get yeah. off his Cuban credentials, get all the way to the top and then crumble. Can't wait to see it. <laughs> Just put, put the weight on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a well-worn path, right? We know what the outcome is. Apart from Ugas, though, Ugas seems to be holding it together. That's true. Someone check his passport, man. Get him <laughs> Um, do, do either of you have a favourite moment of 2021? Yeah, a goal I scored. Um, what, about what goal was that? Uh, against was it Clean Slate. <laughs> right foot, half volley, back post. <laughs> okay, but then, um, Terry, we'll get on to your favourite moment of 2021 in a second. But to both of you first, what's your favourite moment of boxing in 2021? Well, you got to be more specific, didn't you, about this? It's, uh, <laughs> you left the door open. Yeah. I don't remember your girl, frankly, but I can't contest it because I don't remember if it did or didn't happen. <laughs> it did. Um, you were probably injured. Um, favourite box, favorite boxing moment? I think... I think it was Wilder continually getting off the canvas against Fury. Right, and I, and I'm I'm not even talking the fight. The fight itself was amazing, incredible, stands out in your mind. But it was Wilder continually getting off the canvas, and you sat just mesmerized in front of the TV. And after he got up once, and then drops Fury, and then gets dropped himself again, it's like there's no quit in this man whatsoever. And what it goes back to what Terry was saying earlier about. You know, as normal nine to five human beings, I don't want to go out and get knocked out. I don't want to walk outside my front. I'll be really pissed off if I walked outside my front door and like that ginger fella in the viral video just started swinging at me and like just came to knock me out for no reason whatsoever. It really, really ruined my day. Um, whereas Wilder, you know, he's gone to work that day and he just keeps getting off the canvas like Fury. To actually knock the man out, I think you'd have to physically like pin him, you know, tent peg him into the ground, stop him getting back up. It's the only way it's happening. And that's what I like the most is that 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 spirit of the man, seeing him get back up over and over and over again. And when you think back to what I was just saying a minute ago of why he's doing it in the first instance was to raise money to support his disabled daughter, you think you didn't have to keep getting back up. You didn't have to because you were, getting, you were getting paid the same regardless of the outcome. You were getting paid the same if you stayed down after that first knockdown. Yeah. Getting back up. And that to me was like, that, that's an incredible, incredible achievement. 
it's an incredible achievement for Fury to win the fight and give him his credit for that. But I've really enjoyed seeing Wilder just go through superhuman levels of, of attrition. Well, what, I, what blew my mind about that fight was the way that the that the old school swingometer in my mind just seemed to go, who was going to win the fight? Because when, when Wilder knocked through down, I thought, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> And then suddenly Fury gets up and it's like, yeah, I just couldn't believe how it just went, wing, 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 wing. I just, yeah. If we, if we, as a joint second one, Billy Joe Saunders losing. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's mad how... Which, which fight though, Martin? Which, which fight, yeah. So the one that was televised or the one that wasn't? <laughs> no, no, what, what, no, 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 the, no, it was just the, the house invasion that was televised, not the actual <laughs> It's mad how Billy Joe. No idea what you're on about. No, I have no idea. That's why I'm kind of dismissing it. <laughs> so you you want to educate uh, me on it or? Uh, no, no, no. Right. I don't need Let's move on then. <laughs> Just a quick tally up. Am I right in thinking that across three fights, Fury and Wilder, Fury was dropped four times and Wilder was dropped one? <laughs> it's either three or four. Well, Fury was dropped twice in the first fight and twice in the last fight, as far as I can work out. Did Fury go down twice in the second fight? No, he went down once in the second fight. Twice. I in went twice in the first, once in the second. Did he? Uh, sorry, the no, no. Fight. Twice in the first, none in the second, and then is it twice in the third or once in the third? Yeah, once in the third. Twice in the third. So that's four times. And Wilder only got knocked down on the, on the third fight, right? Did he go down in the second? Yeah. Did he? What's the point in this? What are we, what are we proving other than our ignorance? <laughs> you answered your own you question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just... I just it's just a curious one. You, you, you know, how do you... I'm gonna, you're going to go down four times across three fights, but you're still going to come out ultimately the winner in, well, two of them, and almost the third one. Um, anyway, okay, fine. That is a terrible question. Yeah, no, so um, if, I, if I remember rightly, um, off the top of my head, Wilder was down in rounds three and five of the second fight, and he was down in rounds, uh, if I remember correctly... Down in rounds three, ten, and eleven in the third fight. Um, just off the top of my head. It's, well, it's when you grab your testicles that you really come. Your memory really comes to the fore. I mean, you you just you've interlocked <laughs> interlocked your brain cells there. I think Fury was down in round nine and round twelve of the first fight, and then um, yeah, he was down twice in round four of the third fight. So. God, you're good. God, you are good. And don't call me the knowledge for nothing, did I? Martin <laughs> <laughs> Fearon. That um, is insane, though, isn't it? That is, like, when you think, like, we, we grew up hearing the stories about Ali, Frazier, the Thriller in Manila, and so on and so forth, right? That trilogy is our own. Like, we get to own that. In the same yeah. way that, you know, the generation before us get to own the Gatti War trilogy. We get to own this, where we can tell kids and grandkids, you won't believe what we saw. Who gets Pacquiao Marquez? Our generation? Mm. That, was, that was quite a long trilogy, though, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, it crossed it over. 
I don't know. I think we share that one. Yeah, all right. Well, joint custody. <laughs> custody. Um, what isn't going to be the most exciting prediction of yours to happen to boxing in 2022? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to enjoy Hearn having to talk about life without the belts when Joshua loses to Usyk. I'm going to enjoy that because with the Ruiz one, we got to hear about the rematch. When Usyk is done with Joshua, I I, I, I will take in all content because I just want to hear that. Like, do we, do we see Usyk ever won, Terry? Yeah. Yeah. Just do for we... that occasion, <laughs> all beef is suspended for like four hours. <laughs> Next year, do we see Usyk Joshua and Usyk Fury. No. That's annoying. I just, I just, because we know once that's done, it's all done. Because, yeah, because next year we've got to get Spence Crawford, right? And they're not going to want to give us the two seminal fights of our generation in one year. Because then after that, we're all, we're all off to, to watch basketball. So what's your question, Andy? What's our prediction for next year? What is the most exciting thing that will happen to boxing in 2022? I reckon the lightweight division will get pulled together in some way. Um, quite what that looks like, I don't know, because I think Tiafimo Lopez will move up, according to um, according to the Giza top rank. What's his name? I should know, because I interviewed him not long back. <laughs> uh, Bob Arum's stepson. Todd de Boeuf, is it? Todd de Boeuf, that's it. <laughs> He said Lopez is moving up to um, super lightweight. So then you'll be left with Lomachenko, with um, Cambosos. You'll be left with Haney. You'll be left potentially with Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia. I think they're going to have to tie some of that up next year. And quite what that looks like, I don't know. Like, there's five names that I've listed there. How many of those fight one another? I think we'll see... Lomachenko against Cambosos in Australia next year. And I think that'd be amazing if we do. Terry? Well, in response to that, well, what do I think would be the most exciting thing? Yeah. Terry's already answered it. Who gives a fuck about lightweights? What? what? No, 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 no. We do care about lightweights because that's our barometer of how serious... You two do. Well, no, no, no. So... There, there are fights there that are legitimate, like, all-time classics if they happen, right? So Lomachenko versus Tank, for me, is for the ages. Yeah. Yeah, that's for the ages. Ryan Garcia versus Devin Haney, if it's, if it's the first of two or three fights, that could be one for the ages as well. Um, George Cambosos is just the irritant in this, because, quite frankly, if we never saw him again, we'd be okay. But that's not to disguise the fact that he actually did win the title. And and Teofimo, I mean, he dropped the ball on this one because now there's an added layer of complexity. But the reality is, so long as Hearn's not involved in anything meaningful, I'm happy. I was listening to your um, your episode, Terry, after Cambosos, the one you did of like the lightweight, um, yeah. which took a couple of weeks, didn't it, after the, the fallout of the Cambosos fight? Yeah. And I sat waiting all the way through it. I was like, I almost felt tempted to go back and rewind it to the beginning to hear the part where you would question Australian athletes and their, uh, their their genetic makeup. And it never came. And I was disappointed. 
Ah, uh, listening, man. They 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 consume the right blend of nuts, berries, and juices. <laughs> yeah. it, it 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 helps being so far away that you can't just send Vada down there for fun. It helps, doesn't it? But there's always been something a bit iffy about about them as a sporting nation, as sporting people. I wouldn't want to be a boxer from Australia for no other reason than it's such a minority sport. You don't you don't get the experience you need, and that's why. I'll be intrigued to see what Tim Zhu does in his career because yes. he's got the power, but he doesn't seem to have the ring now. And I don't think you get that unless you're around loads of other people who are boxing and are slightly different to you. But the thing with Cambosos, like his performance was brilliant. Like whether we talk about nuts, berries and juice, whatever, like his performance was exceptional against Lopez. But how good was his dad? How good was his dad outside of the ring? Like before the fight, when he, um, it was in Lopez's dad kind of stormed into the gym. I oh, just grabbed it. Yeah, you get this big Aussie bloke like, yeah, fuck off, mate. <laughs> Chucked him out of the gym pretty much. And then afterwards in the interviews, he was like, I've told you all what this lad's about. Like, and then he gave this whole backstory of George Cambosos from when he was a kid, like taking him to Aussie rules training and taking him to the boxing gym and the story of being sat in the car. He gave us all the backstory to George Cambosos. And I knew more from a five-minute IFL interview about George Cambosos via his dad than I know about 90% of British boxers. And I immediately bought into the story and I immediately cared about him. I immediately had a why as to why I cared about him from his dad just giving me that five-minute like dialogue about him. And I thought, brilliant, brilliant. Like, you've made a fan out of me from this. Um, from the performance plus the personality, even if that's via a spokesperson, why more boxers can't get their backstory over in some way? Because none of them are going to be much more interesting than I had to balance doing a couple of sports when I was a kid and it was quite difficult. But why can't more people make that interesting and sell us it? I don't think boxers are that interesting. I think that's really the problem. And I keep saying this ad nauseum. There are enough hours in the day to be interesting. Yeah, like they are. The, the, this idea that bo boxing is this monastic life. I'm like, Duran and those guys were smoking Marlboro Reds and doing 15-round fights. Like, what, what are you talking about? They were out womanizing, partying, enjoying life. And you, these guys are like, yeah, I live the life. I'm like, shut up. Man. Like, <laughs> you, all you do is depriving yourself of being interesting and setting yourself up for a mental health crisis when you get older. That's why, you see, a lot of these guys that have health problems after boxing, it's a multitude of things, but the main thing is... Lack of Marlboro's. That helps. <laughs> but it's the lack of balance in your life. Like, I, I just think, I stand by this, a balanced athlete is a successful athlete. Like, if you look at Messi, you don't hear about Messi, you know, walking in the desert to just condition that, that second toe or anything like that. He trains, then he spends time with his family and his friends. He barbecues, he does this, he does that. He leads a normal life outside the ring, not the ring, off the pitch. I struggle to find boxers that do that. And I find that the ones that do tend to be more interesting. So I'm a George Groves fan because he was never one of those guys for the monastic life. He said, look, boxing's my job. When I need to focus on boxing, I will focus on it. Outside of that, I've got friends, I've got family. And, you know, I need to dedicate some time to them. It's coming up to your favourite day of the year, Terry. Christmas Day, when boxers post about going out for my run. Oh, Boxing Day. Ah. Oh. 
Nah, it's, it's, it's the ones that on Christmas Day, like, make a point of posting on social media, no days off, going out for a run. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so there are two kinds of posts. There's a Christmas Day one, which is no days off. And then there's the Boxing Day one. Up. Even if you've got a fight on, like, January the 5th, shut the fuck up. Just go and enjoy some time with your family. Do you know what it is? Boxing's really backward when it comes to training and understanding of our performance. Boxing is where rugby was in the early 90s, I imagine, where they think the more you do, the better you get. And they don't understand the concept of diminishing returns. So yeah. most boxers overtrain <coughs> and they shorten their careers. They reduce their chances of success because they don't get it. That's why you see a lot of these Russian guys and the guys from Eastern Europe are so good because they don't train like, they don't train like we do here. They, they, they know when they need to go crazy and they know when they don't need to go crazy. So you don't see, you won't see Usyk posting on Christmas Day, because this could be embarrassing if he does. But you don't, I don't think you'll see, I just don't think you'll see him doing that. I don't think you'll see him on Boxing Day going, this is day for the boxers only. If, if, he, does, if he does, mate, this is going to ruin you. Yeah. Oh, mate. You're going to be blocking a lot crazy. of people, including me, at that point. Mate, I've got blockchain. Man. I don't know if I've still got it, but blockchain did a lot. As soon as I typed in certain accounts, it just blocked everyone that followed. Oh, really? What's that? But yeah. I've not seen that. It's like a Google Chrome extension called blockchain. I don't know if it's still there, but it it eliminated a lot of noise from my timeline, like in, in an afternoon. Nice. Is that like your, um, your dating app hints? I want to know how many people out there that have been listening... How many people out there have changed their profile picture yet? Well, so, okay, so so I had some feedback on that. <laughs> can I just, can I set the context around it so people yeah. know, in case they didn't hear it, which you should have. Yeah. <laughs> One of the ends of Terry's episodes, just to prove I listened through all of it as well, Terry. <laughs> One of the ends of the episodes where Terry had said about if you're on dating apps, put up like a really handsome picture, find like the best looking geezer in the world and put up about the fact that you love just generic, like going for walks, love puppies. Um, I'm a family person. I'll love you forever. Do that. Then don't touch your account for the next three months. Don't do anything with it. And you'll get all these women saying, yes, 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 yes. Come back to it in three months. Change your picture back to yourself and now start accepting all those women that have said yes. <laughs> and then you can start the conversation. But specifically, don't be a scumbag about it. Don't be a scumbag. Yeah. Be a good person at that point. You might, have got, you might have used the system to get you there, but don't abuse the system now. So that's the yeah. context. So, yeah, so, so a couple of people have tried it. And they're like, listen. 50% of my swipes are matches now. And I'm like, what was it like before? Like one in 20? And I was like, there you go. And I've had some I had some, some female listeners pull me up and go, that's catfishing. I was like, it's not catfishing. It's not catfishing. The reason it's not catfishing is you haven't interacted with someone who looks different from you. From, from the original poster, I should say. All you're doing is you're saying, and I think this is the right thing to say, no algorithm should tell me who I can and cannot see, right? So all you're doing is you're just bypassing the algorithm and going, let me just get in first, and then let's see, let's see how the funnel manages itself from there. You might end up with one out of 200 matches like you. That's cool. 
but that makes it worth it because that one person may not have seen you had it not been for the for the algorithm because people don't realize and yeah, I'll put it out there like you've got women who are in wheelchairs right women who are disabled and the algorithm selects against them for obvious reasons right but that's pretty cruel so you're you know you're a woman or a man in a wheelchair you're being selected against and all you're getting when you join these apps is, is like almost like the dregs. And I don't want to say that in a cruel way, but you get the dregs because that's what the algorithm does. It, it amplifies whatever you're getting. And so is that fair? Is that right? I don't think it is. You know, it's no coincidence that China has said no more algorithms. Like they, they told, they've told, all the social media providers have been told, no algorithms. The New Age Dating Podcast strikes again. Honestly, when, when I was listening to it, I thought, no, I'm a married man, so it's no use to me. But if I wasn't, I would be all over these apps right now going, right, I'll take that advice. You wouldn't need to because at the very, very outset, because you're a married man, you'd, you'd go through that phase of anything will do for the first, whenever it is, year, two years, however long your pecker can stand dipping itself in absolutely anything. And then you start going, well, hold on a minute. Maybe I don't want that because, That wasn't you know, your experience. I've been through the anything will do phase. Oh, I know you have. But when you came out of marriage, you talked about it as like almost as if you were getting your virginity back and it was really special. Then you went through the anything will do phase. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it took, well, that was idealism, really. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I was, it was a case of being shit scared but i just don't think you'd go through that you'd go you, you're the sort of person that'd be like fuck it i'll just do anything yeah. and then, so, so here's the other added benefit that people don't understand because you've got that backlog of matches waiting to be discovered right you stay high in the algorithm so even as you you're being presented to loads of people so even if these women now select against you because so many selected for you before, and if you're just disciplined with that, you never drop down because you're always net off being better off. It's it's a great way to subvert the system. So we're back to uh, cheating dating apps, are we? Right. Professor Chapandama well, speaks. Any, you know me, any kind of system that can be cheated, I'm all for it because they're not doing it for your benefit. Professor of Tinderology. Well, I remember when you told us about you could get the API for Tinder where it just let you, like, bulk <laughs> 50 women in one go, select all, yes. Well, no, no, there was the original one. Right? So the original I'm one. farming. Yeah, like, so the original like, one. You know. no, no. So I, I left because I, I had a burner phone for this one, right? <laughs> Why? I let it run. Not even married. Mate, mate, I, I, so, so I let the algo run, right? I let this whole, the, or the API, I let the thing run for like, I think 36 hours. And it just liked like 392,000 people. No effort required. <laughs> That's amazing. But I'm, I'm like that. You know, when I figure something out, I've been like this since I was a kid. As soon as I find a glitch in the matrix, I'm all over it. I'm like, oh, okay. You want to you play games? You find a way together. that like, after 10 minutes, move one element of your postcode, like one digit of it, so you can start spreading out wider and wider where the, the potential matches are. Oh, man, you just go for the whole country. Like, why, are you, why are you trying to segment at that point? You can segment oh, later on. 
not an expert at these. I've never used one. It's about just, fun management, just, Martin. Choose Martin, your Martin. postcode and then choose a radius, Martin. You don't have to stop moving your postcode. Just go oh, anything. Oh. You've got to manage your funnel. Like, you don't want to be end, you don't end up having to drive to fucking Kettering, do you? Like, that's just crazy. Well, I mean, I've got a mate who shall remain nameless that's driving to Cleethorpes for sex right now. What are the initials? No. You'll know who it is anyway. I'm not, yeah. I'm not asking yeah, yeah. you. Yeah. Hmm? Oh, mate. A.H. Just... No, 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 I don't speak to him anymore. Uh, okay. Uh, AC. <laughs> <laughs> no. We thought, fuck's sake. So it's not Damien Sandow, is it? <laughs> I have a question about boxing, if that's not too much trouble. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, so. Going back a couple of years ago, there was a couple of boxing content providers, especially in the UK. But now we've got The Zone, Sky, BT, and the, the list seems to go on and on. And all it seems to have done from a consumer perspective is dissolve how many potential fights we've got on the table for watching. So from a, from, it seems to work against what you'd assume from a free market perspective. When, he's got, when there's free and fair competition across the board, we seem to get less and less of what we want. When there's one or two dominant people, we seem to still get less of what we want. Where is the middle ground? Where are we ever going to get, or are we ever going to get a position where we get decent fights on a regular basis? Well, we've never had decent fights on a regular basis. No, I know, but what is the solution? Because we've gone now both scenarios and... Each of them seem to present their own problems as to getting decent good fights. Okay, so 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 historical context, right? We got a wild, we got a Wilder Fury trilogy in under three years. Ali Frazier took what four and a half. Do you see? Do you see what I mean? Like Ali Norton probably took four and a half, five years as well. I can't remember off the top of my head. So these things have generally dragged on. So if you look at the the four kings, as I like to talk about, the high point of the four kings is you know. We, some would say Hagler versus Sugar Ray Leonard. So from the first four Kings fight to that is seven years. We've always had to drag things out. I think the problem you have now is that formula has become codified. So promoters know, because they've got the data now, they know most boxing fans are suckers and will watch anything. So they're like, I have no incentive to make these hard fights. And most managers are like, why am I putting my guy in harm's way? I can get the same money fighting someone easier. And until we break that cycle as fans, it's not, I don't think the promoters can do anything about this in the absence of, a, of an independent regulator. So as fans, we just need to stop watching stuff. But this is the point. Most boxing fans are insecure men that don't tend to get girls. And so... I'm saying... This is true. And so what no. they do is, is... And the reason they don't get girls is the reason they make really good boxing fans. They get so irrational about things and they get more and more desperate, right? So that insecurity breeds itself. They feel left out if they don't watch every fight that's happening. Oh my God, people are going to be tweeting about this and I've got, I've got nothing to say about it. Motherfucker, just sit it out. If you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole world going on outside that's not boxing and it's a whole load of fun and there are girls there. Go and do it. And a lot of people don't do that. And so you end up, <laughs> you end up with a, like a captive audience that will just watch any old dross because they don't want to be left out. They didn't even enjoy the fight. 
but at least they weren't left out. And we need to change that thinking in boxing. And the issue from a consumer perspective, from a fan perspective, is from what I reckon, going back to what you said, Andy, the quality of the product dilutes itself with every new broadcaster and every, yeah. every person. So if you took it as Channel 5, Sky Sports, BT Sport, zone. Am I missing anyone? I think that's four, right? Never, as a boxing fan, would you have had to pay more money than what you pay right now to be able to watch everything. And yet, that quality has been diluted because you've got four different broadcasters involved. Yeah. You're paying more for less. Like, that's insane. So reject it. As Terry says, I've cancelled my zone subscription. I'll, yeah. I'll take it back up. If they put on enough stuff that's worthwhile watching then I'll pay £8 a month for it. If they bring in other sports that I want to watch, then I'll pay £8 a month for it. But if you're giving me Derek Chisora versus Joseph Parker too, I'm not paying you £8 a month. You don't earn my £8 a month because that's not very good. I don't pay for Sky Sports. I don't pay for BT Sports. I find other ways of watching them. Um, God bless IPTV. But the point is as a consumer if i thought those products were worth the money that i'm being charged i would pay for them but i don't and so the sooner we kill off the zone model unless they start providing decent quality the better because it they're not going to improve it if mugs keep paying them eight pound a month to show us chisora parker and fights of that quality like what are you can dig up lee selby against ricky burns again or something like oh don't don't say they'll do it yeah, but do you know what I mean? Like That's what we're going to end up with. And then we're going to be told this would have been pay-per-view back in the day on Sky. It was on a pay-per-view car, blah, blah, blah. The quality right now in British boxing is garbage. Like, on the whole of what is broadcast is garbage. Name me the last British fight night that you had to tune in for. You had to. I'm not the person to ask that question. Terry? I may I struggle. But the I'm fact that, like Terry, you can't think of it. There have been good ones, but ones that you were like, nah, I need to go out my way to make sure I'm in on Saturday night. I can't think of one. If you had one sole broadcaster in the sport, then you would amalgamate all those talents that we've got, and then you start making quality fights. When I go back to the start, Eudophia versus Dignam, the fact we can't see that fight because they're going to go and take it and put it on a YouTube channel or a free sport channel with Danny Dignam versus Grant Dennis or whatever the B team channel is, that, that's a problem. That's a real problem because the sport doesn't grow if you're just avoiding making meaningful fights. I, I, I feel like when Sky were at the, at the helm of British boxing, so to speak, it was like they'd have four or five fights that... We would talk about the podcast, oh, this is coming out, this is coming out, and one of them would get put on a fight night, and then it would be a pay-per-view, and then Eddie Hearn would be like, yeah, well, you know, this is going to be a great fight, and he'd be like, but the undercards wank, and then the next week, they'd put on another fight night, and it would be one of those fights. Four weeks' time, it would be another one of those fights, and you'd be like, so there's, there's literally almost no scenario that ever works for it, unless, as Terry says, there's an independent. Oh, he's disappeared. He's di Terry's gone. Oh no, there he is. Um, is it an independent regulator in place, or I don't even know what to hope for anymore. That's where I was leading to. Is ultimately, 
how do you regulate, how do you keep this in check? What the hell do the board do? Outside of claiming money off people, um, sitting on a big bank of money and letting people punch other people when they're on the floor and then just accepting referees' views of it, what else do they do? Like, they don't pull up judges. They don't pull up judges, do they? When Joseph Parker just about scrapes a win, despite dropping Chisora multiple times, they let Steve Gray get away with it for punching Bradley Skeet on the ground because they accept his view of events. What is their role? Like, outside of licensing people, which I think Terry's kind of alluded to before, the licensing process should probably be stricter than what it is. But as a regulator, they ought to have some involvement to say, nah, no, we don't need this many. We don't need, like, I know they can't necessarily dictate market terms and say, no, a TV broadcaster can't get involved. But then if they can't do that, they've got no power. And if they've got no power, what's the point in them being them in the first instance? It's almost as if they're a bunch of old men that don't know how to take the sport forward. No. Really? But if you criticise them, then Robert Smith will just go on IFL going, ah, fans, rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. They shouldn't, they shouldn't even be involved in the sport. The sport should be run behind closed doors without anyone's involvement. Nobody should have a view apart from us. You look at like every other sporting governing body and they're always accused of like UEFA or FIFA. FIFA are like, right, we're going to do a World Club Cup. And FIFA are like, no, no. Everyone's trying to get more out of the players and out of the clubs, especially in football, trying to drag more out of them. Whereas boxing, it's almost like, well, we made our money for this year, so fuck the fans off until next year. And you just think, I'd rather have a governing body that was like, no, um, what we're going to do is, even if it was largely arbitrary, we're going to grade every fighter from an A to an F or whatever the fuck it is. And you have to put on a certain amount of A fights in a card, otherwise we're not going to give it the go. I don't fucking know. But something that made people put on decent shows as opposed to going, here's a load of okay, props. So, so Andy, let's, let, let, let's, break, let's break the market down, right? Let's say Hearn does 20 shows or 25 shows in the UK next year. And let's say Frank does 20. Right, that's 45 shows. Sky might do 15. That's 60 shows. Hennessy does five. That's 70 shows. That's that's not even the small hall guys doing anything. Like that's 70 shows. We do not have the talent in this country for 70 shows. Yeah, if you said five broadcast fights, that's 350 fights to be broadcast. It doesn't work. Yeah, there's just not there's not the quality. It, you know what it would be like? It would be like saying. Let's have a fifty. Let's have a fifty-team Premier League. Like, it'll be the top ten. Okay, that makes perfect sense. But the bottom ten will be terrible relative to the top ten. But here's here's how I'd do it. Right, flip it entirely. Flip it entirely. So, <clears throat> the board, in my view, have very little power or ability to govern the sport. So they need to have that. Um, and then if you had that, every fight that you want to make as a promoter, so you, you either the board mandated like they do for the British title fights, or you have European or you have world title fights that are kind of um, put forward from elsewhere. So the EBU come forward and say, this is a fight we want to make. The WBC come forward and say, this is a fight we want to make. But anything underneath that, British level or below, 
promoters ought to go to them and say, this is the fight we want to make. And the board say yes or no to it. And at that point, the board should auction that fight off to broadcasters. And then you'd actually find out what fights people really care about or would want to pay for. Because I just, I don't see, it's not a market rate that you're paying. Like you're paying for Sky Sports, you're paying for BT Sports, but actually put those fights through an auction process. And actually, I bet you most broadcasters wouldn't even bid for half of them. And there you find out that actually the box in the UK isn't really that worthwhile in the first instance. What I can't understand is, if you're uh, any one of those people you mentioned, Terry, and you're putting on that many shows with that many fights, they surely can't make any money out of over 50% of the fights they're putting on. Like, in, like and when I say making money, I mean, what's the point of putting those fights on? Why aren't they concentrating on the upper echelons of their boxing stable to put on good shows? I don't understand it. Do you know why? There are two reasons. One, it's just what's always been done. Number two, if you can squeeze a few extra ticket sales for the arena, you'll do that. That's, that's partly what it is as well, is we want to fill the arena. If you had a reputation for putting on absolutely blistering shows every week, then you would sell. You, you could put, potentially, um, Eddie Hearn could put on 10 shows a year and sell out Wembley for every show. I don't, okay. I don't fucking, maybe I'm over-egging it. But like, what I mean is, you could then sell, you, maybe, maybe he only does 10 shows, but they're all pay-per-view, but every time people pay for it, they go, but it's going to be worth it. As opposed to the diluted fucking squash that everyone has to take on 27 million times a year. So I'm going to get my Martin Theobald on here and I'm going to ask Andy a question. Andy, what do you think the difference in income would be for Lionel Sadofia fighting Danny Dignam versus fighting Jason Wellborn for the British? I'd argue that he earns roughly the same amount of money regardless. Well, I, I don't. I haven't heard of two of the three fighters you've, talk, you've just mentioned. So, <laughs> um, I've no idea. I, 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 but knowing what I know about small hall, um, or so it's, it's really small hall anymore. But like that sort of, I'm guessing a couple of thousand, something like that. Yeah. So if, you're, if I'm a manager, I'm like, well. I'm not incentivized to take the riskier fight because the economics don't make sense. And that's what they mostly hide behind. Is, 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 I find it frustrating as well that you want to see these fights as a fan, but the economics of the fights don't lend themselves to, to that approach. I, I genuinely think from a board perspective, because all the fights get put to you, you get to look at the potential card and you go, right, this guy's had five fights against Lithuanian and Belarusian journeymen. We can't, we're not going to sanction another one. He needs a step-up fight. That's what the board should be doing. They should be setting those standards where you say, yeah, every fourth fight, there should be a meaningful fight here. Yeah. Well, you look, at, look at the Premier League. You get away with Chelsea versus Burnley as a Super Sunday fixture at 4pm as the, like, you know, the very sort of main fixture of the weekend because most of the time you're faced with Liverpool Man United or Tottenham Arsenal, or whatever the, the showpiece event of the weekend, sometimes you can slip a little, slip a sneaky one under the under the door and go, well, you've got Crystal Palace versus Newcastle on a Sunday, you're like, oh, this is a bit. But the brand is impacted because most of the time, the heavyweights carry it. Um, not literal heavyweights, but 
if you made something that was worth watching on a regular basis, you'd tolerate a couple of crap fights every now and again because it would be the lesser of, you know, of of two evils. And actually, what <clears throat> you don't need, it doesn't need superstar names to make good fights. Like, I'm a small hall advocate because I enjoy, say, the southern area title fights or the English title fights that you see around those small hall ones. A lot of the card might be dross. It might be up-and-coming prospect versus Lithuanian. But I enjoy those area title fights. Now, why there aren't more of those broadcast on TV, I, I don't understand. Because you essentially have two lads that at that point in their career are fighting for, like, moving on to the next level. And so they scrap it out. They'll always scrap it out. Southern area fights, northern area fights, central area fights, they're always good fun on the whole. Eight out of ten, maybe. Um, they're not always the best quality, but Alan Babich isn't the best quality, but he's always good fun. Um, but you've got two lads that you're then moving them on. Do it as like a winner stays on tournament. And like take the winner of that area level fight and then follow his career through. You know how they used to in the FA Cup days, like right back in the days, they would take like one team from the very first proper round of the draw and they'd follow them until they got beaten. Then they'd follow the team that beat them on the BBC and then follow them and then follow them all the way through to the final. Do that with some of these fighters. Like just take some area level fighters. There's enough broadcast slots, as we've just discussed. Take an area. Well, when was the last time we saw area title fights on a, a broadcast? I, I can't remember, but I can remember seeing WBA Intercontinentals. I can remember <laughs> random Polish guy number four. I can remember seeing Hank Lundy hobble his way into the ring to get iced by Robbie Davis Jr. <laughs> I, I don't need to see that. Quick, dig up David Price again. Someone needs a heavyweight opponent this time. He's back for real. Ice. You know what? Here's my thing. If you kept the number of bouts a boxer could have, <laughs> you'd solve this problem. And I know yeah. Steve said, because Steve's arguing back, if I remember, Martin, was some people already look shot after 12 fights, which is fine. You can drop out before, but after 30, no, Man, you, you've got to keep going to 30. I don't care if you want to retire. <laughs> <laughs> you've got 18 more to fit in. <laughs> Walks out the shower and someone's yeah. got boxing gloves on. Right, this is this is your 30th fight, mate. I'm 58 years old and you're 27. Bang, bang, bang. See, you, you laugh, right? Well, this is a side note, but we all need to start monitoring Fresno Kendo because if the WBA get rid of that regular heavyweight title and there's only one WBA belt left, Fresno Kendo still has the right to fight for that belt. He's still got that legal paper. Yeah. The New like, <laughs> that, if that happens in 2022, I'll be the happiest man on earth. I just want to see Fres. I just want to see Fres fight. He must be claiming step-aside money galore. No, because I, I think he's probably like, listen, just get rid of that regular title. I don't need step-aside for the regular. Get rid of it. Please get rid of it. Like, I want to be at his house when Manuel Cha and Trevor Bryan fight. Finally, that belt's gone. He's got the golden ticket. <laughs> He'll be there at home with like, all of his relatives, like grandkids, everything, with the champagne. You know, when, like, if somebody's last number comes up on the lottery ticket, yes! <laughs> it'll, be like, it'll be like Jamie Vardy's house when they won the league. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, no. Honestly, if you if you if you said to let's take let's take someone who's coming up now, Campbell Hatton. And you said Campbell Hatton, from your debut, you've got 30 fights. We wouldn't have to go through the nonsense we're going through now because he'd have to make a tough choice. Am I ready to jump in now? Yes or no? Because you couldn't have the learning fights. There couldn't be any of this. Aye, he's learning on the job, mate. You know, you've got to go easy on him. He's learning on the job, lad. Don't ask what accent that was. Don't even try. Yeah, it's the Bell U-esque, but I'm not sure. Ah, Bill Bell, you better David Price, you know. Certainly the Mersey area. <laughs> but that's, I, I do. I genuinely would like to see professional bouts capped at 30 for British licensed boxers. Just cap it at 30. Yeah, no, the, I, I don't see an argument against it particularly. Um, but I also, <clears throat> I, I'd like to see a rule that says by your, I don't know, call it arbitrarily, seventh fight, you have to have, like after your seventh fight, you have to fight people with winning records. And if your if your manager is good enough or your matchmaker's good enough to keep pulling in like overseas lads, then fair enough. Like there's always going to be a flaw in the system somewhere. But you shouldn't be on like your tenth fight still fighting one and fifty eight journeymen. Yeah, because I, I I can't I don't like this idea of professional boxers learning on the job. Like come on guys, you're professional boxers. I expect you to execute. That's it. If you can't then maybe the same sport for you. Oh, it'd be so good if you had amateur boxing was like the college football of of this scenario and you had professional boxer, boxers that were in teams. don't know how you would structure those teams, but every time you want to fight, you've got a certain amount, got a certain amount of money. <laughs> that would be good. That would be I'm good. I'm not and then you could... to the idea of a draft, by the way. Exactly. Then you could draft amateur boxers. How cool would that be? And like you say, if you had like um, if you had a board that would, and it doesn't have to be the the necessary boxing board of control, whatever, but it it could be a board that that um, accepted whether a fight was you know winning records and that sort of stuff as Martin was talking about. It could be we're going to accept whether this fight happens or not, and if. If they rejected it, then they could appeal and there'd be like maybe an appeals board that they could say, okay, maybe this fight can happen or whatever. But ultimately, you would then have regulation over what fights could take place. You would have some sort of overarching, something overarching to invest in because it was some sort of team behind it. I don't know. I just, I'm so, I'm I, so I un- uninterested in boxing. Hence the reason I haven't paid any attention since... Fury, Wilder, um, yes. or fleeting attention, let's put it that way. Andy, I'd, I'd love that. If someone said to me, look, every August, these guys from the amateurs have to declare themselves eligible to turn pro. And then you'd say, okay, the televised promoters, so that would be Sky, BT Sport, and Channel 5 at the moment. I probably missed one. Uh, zone, right? And you say, right, you lot, split the first 20 picks amongst yourselves before we bring everyone else in. And then all of a sudden, you'd be able to go, right, who really wants to do what? I'd love that, man. I would absolutely love that. Just being able to sit there one day in August and there's this young kid who's like, oh, this young man was 50 bows. He won 47 of them. 
And so because we'd get into the draft, we'd know the kid's backstory already. You Now you're already elevating that kid. So when he makes his debut, we know he's special. Yeah, well, and, and the amateurs would have some, some measure of... I mean, there's obviously people that watch amateurs and enjoy it, but from, for a wider audience, amateurs would have some gravity to them because you'd be like, right, this guy has got to impress his amateurs in order to get picked up in the draft for the pros. Exactly. I, I, don't, I, don't, I think you'd have to start it and evolve it as you went on, but the idea of drafting, I think, is good because that's what makes, like, when you go back to, when was Jordan drafted? 84? And Jordan was drafted third in his intake, which is crazy. I think the guy that came first was a guy called Sam Bowie. We don't know what happened to that guy. But he was a seven-foot seven center, I think he was. And maybe Elijah one was second. Jordan was picked third overall. But we remember that draft intake. Because right, that 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 had guys like John Stockton and so forth. That we Charles Barkley in the same intake. That's crazy that we remember those draft intake classes because of what they went on to do. And that points to two things: one, being able to identify talent and then put it in that kind of elite funnel early on, and two, it's that understanding that that progression is important. So when they do turn pro, we're expecting them to be something. Right now, if a kid turns pro, I rely on Adam Smith telling me you know, what he got for home economics in year nine and whether Mrs. Mrs. Jones quite liked, you know, how he made his pizza by using barbecue sauce instead of tomato sauce. I don't know, but we don't get that right now. These kids are being harmed because promoters don't care. They just care about you know, what's in front of them now. And I wish the board took a lead in that, actually. Andy, I've got a question for you. Here we go. Go on. Nah, so you've said numerous times, and I know anyway, but you've said numerous times that like you're out of boxing basically at the moment. Like it's not of interest to you. Um, outside of Fury Wilder, that's the last one that you watch, as far as I know. Yeah. So what would it take? Like, I suppose the question is, are you lost from boxing now? Like, how would boxing get you back as a regular viewer, given that you're now on the outside looking into it occasionally? Um, how would boxing even get you back as a fan? Could it? Because, I mean, ultimately you would need to see an improved product, but how would you see an improved product if you're not watching it? I think uh, on a temporary basis, I'll still come back and watch Usyk Joshua, Usyk Fury, Joshua Fury. So if If they loaded those undercards with top quality fights. I'm not talking doing it on the cheap. I'm talking Eubank Junior Williams, for instance, which I know that's happened on a Sky Sports show. Um, but if we go back to what Terry discussed ages ago about make the WrestleMania of boxing cards, yeah, that would draw you in and you'd see maybe some faces you weren't so familiar with and you might see some new names and you'll see some, some top quality fights. You put Amir Khan, Kel Brook on that. You put Chris Uban Jr., Liam Williams, you put Joe Cordino against somebody in a world title fight. Would that be perhaps the gateway to getting you back in? Uh, okay, the, the answer to this, I think, is a bit more complicated than yes or no, because ultimately, probably yes. But what you've got to think about is we've been doing the podcast, or we had done the podcast, uh, you know, circa six years or something like that. Throughout that period of time, I was always aware of the fact that I knew a lot less about boxing than you and then eventually Terry as well. And, and so, 
than most people listening to the podcast. So there'll be times when I'd sit to myself and go, right, I'm going to watch this entire card. And the fight would be absolutely terrible. And then I'd get a message from you the next day going, you know, on the group, on the WhatsApp group that we have going, these fights were garbage, da 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 And over time, when I would dip into these, there would be one in maybe 20 fights that were worth watching. And my trust was eroded in the sport. So if, for example, they put on one of these super cards, you're sort of hypothesizing there, would I watch it? Probably not. But when everyone went, my God, what a load of good fights they were. And then they did it again and again and again. The product itself would be worthy of trusting in and therefore investing time in watching. And then when you watched a few of them and you got some good fights that were meaningful, that made sense and had some jeopardy involved in them, you'd go, okay, okay, I'm interested now. Instead of seeing someone like Huey Fury come up against a heavyweight I've never heard of and takes a shellacking in five rounds and you go, what was the purpose of that? And it's a tick-over fight before Fury's next, Huey Fury's next tick-over fight, before his next tick-over fight, before he gets smashed by someone like Chisora, before he goes into another tick-over fight. And you just think, that's he's a prime candidate for those pointless, bottom-of-the-barrel shit that I'm not interested in. So it's almost like, to prevent myself from being disappointed in any way, I'm not to just fucking switch off for it completely. And that's kind of where I'm at now. If something really extraordinary is going to happen, I'm going to hear about it through the media or through you guys. And I'll go, oh, I might skip, you know, uh, switch on for that. But I'm certainly going to sit the entire undercard out because I know historically that it's going to be a load of wank. And then there'll be like, and now the moment you've all been waiting for. Well, actually, what you should be thinking as a promoter is that that whole card should have been something that was waiting for. That headline banner event should have been what attracted people in to watch the rest of you on the card but no fuck it just stick a load of blokes punching out drug drunk horses or whatever and then you could just stick two blokes on the top and they'll and that'll pay for the undercut and that'll pay for the fucking whole thing what a load of shit sounds like a newcastle away day doesn't it yeah <laughs> just drunk blokes punch just, out horses i have no trust in boxing i have no trust in the product i have no trust in the spectacle all i watch is those specific fights and and then see what happens after that. And unfortunately, the sad thing is, when I do watch those main fights and they happen, there's a fire that burns some up. I want to hear podcasts. I want to hear reaction. I want to hear all the stuff around it. And that dies away. And then it's like I look on, you know, the next podcast um, that comes up on my phone for the following week and it will say, you know, um, Johnny fucking... Spazzy Magoo versus fucking Fred Flintflop. And you go, who the fuck are those two moms? I don't have a clue who they are. I don't have a clue about what they're fighting for. And I have no interest. And you can bet your bottom dollar that one of you two will be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I won't have any interest in watching it. Oh, question. <laughs> well, I mean, that probably won't resonate with many people, but if it resonates with one or two, that'll do. Like, I, I, I just have no no trust in the matchmaking of this sport. It's purely designed to try and extract as much money for as little give back as possible. That's what it's designed to do. So. I, I, I would say a lot of people are in boxing now because they're like, I've, I've sat through so much of the rubbish. It's going to have to come good at some point. And I tell them <laughs> it won't. It really won't come good because it isn't anything to make it good. Example. Right? You've got Tony Yoka, you've got Joe Joyce, you've got Philip Hogan. 
Um, you don't see those guys anywhere near each other. You look at the intake from their generation, which is now five and a bit years ago. You got Ivan Dichko as well. He was floating around. And there's a few of them, Zhang Gillet, and all these guys, right? Why aren't they fighting each other as heavyweights? Like, I, so once Fury retires, Wilder retires, and Joshua goes off and does whatever he does, we're still going to be wondering who the top guys are because these guys aren't even fighting each other. Like, everyone's being kept away. And you know when you talk to managers, right? The typical manager response is, we're not going to do that fight now. We're going to do it further down the line when it's for something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It has to happen now. Because yeah. I want it to happen now and I'm willing to pay for it now. You wait two years, I might have someone else I want to spend my money on. The maddening thing is that what the names you just, what you just sort of like articulated there was when Fury retires, we found out who, what the, the result of, we were talking about this in 2017 and you said, look at 2021, 2022. We're, we come to 2022, we've still not really got the prospect of Joshua fighting Fury in the short term, which we were looking for back then. We've still not found out who the um, undisputed unified heavyweight champion of the world. There is, you know, we don't, we don't have that. And yet now we're talking about when they retire, which is what, probably two or three years away or some, something there or thereabouts, to then for the cycle to start all over again. So you're looking at a turnover cycle of somewhere between eight years. There's been two World Cups in that time. There's been like eight <laughs> Champions League finals. Who gives a fuck? I don't want to listen. I don't want to watch. Like, what did I have to watch all that time? I had to watch fucking Joshua versus Parker, which was always going to be shit because Parker's shit. I had to watch all all the dross fights of no one gave a fuck about, like Charles Martin because fucking Glasgow. Hey, yeah. blew up. Whoa, 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 no, whoa, whoa, no, whoa, whoa. Charles Martin's whoa. dog shit, or at least he was in that fight. Looked amateur when he turned up. But there's so many shit fights that nobody wanted to watch through 2018, 2020, and and then finally get to a point where we're gonna, you know, something's gonna happen. It's like ah, just I'm just so fucking bored yeah, of it. We are getting Carl Brook, so. That's a perfect that that is the perfect example of everything. Yeah. Like, last okay. fucking they're both sitting in the corner of the last chance saloon going, oh fuck it, might as well fucking bang each other now. Yeah, they're, they're, oh. they're, they're two blokes that have left it too late in the nightclub, isn't they? And like yeah. it's not even that like it's just the the less attractive females are left, it's that all the females have left. So they're just gonna go back with one another in a a Tenerife room and Let's just find each other off. Tenerife, I don't know. I don't know. But you know, if we'd have, if we'd have fucked, if we'd have fucked six years ago, we'd have had the world at our feet. But nah, Miles just fucking wank each other off in the fucking cupboard now, and all get fucking you know a share of two million pound of the fuck it's going to be. I, I, I just so fucking absolutely tired and dispirited with the whole of boxing. Can I just take, like, two seconds to apologise for all of your language over the last ten minutes? Oh, sorry. I mean, I've, I've had, yeah, the beers, so sorry about that. And that tattoo on Andy White's arm, um, st- it doesn't say bomber at all, so just to reassure the public. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a celebration of the events in Manchester. But here's the thing, right? Oh. The thing that worries me even more, and so this is the conversation that I have regularly. I look at these kids coming through in the amateurs now. 
And that mindset they've seen the pros is happening now. In the old days, you just got told you're fighting someone and you showed up when and where it happened, right? That, that was it. So you could fight the same lad four or five times in the space of two years. Brilliant. Like, brilliant. Gave you a reason. You know, you gave you stuff to look forward to. Now I'm seeing these youngsters in the amateurs going, I'm going to fight that guy till we get to the tournament. And I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, yeah. And all that stuff, like I need a training camp to do the ABAs. And it, it's this, this, this level of bullshit filtering down to the point where I don't think you're going to care about these kids coming through now. Like, because I get asked this by, by managers and promoters and they say to me, Terry, who are the kids coming through now who are special? And I'm just like, none. There's no one special. And there's no one special for two reasons. One, That's so depressing. <laughs> number one, these kids are, are too soft, like physically and spiritually too soft to, to do the work required to be successful. But secondly, we've lost all the kind of knowledge and wisdom about boxing in general. And I know people get annoyed when, when I sound like an old timer, you know, but experience... <laughs> Because experience is a big deal, right? And you're a Man United fan. Look at this new guy you've got, Ralph Rangnick, right? You can see a family tree from Ralph Rangnick. The guy who inspired him was Lobanovsky from uh, Dynamo Kiev. You see there's a clear lineage of like knowledge and experience that goes down through him into Jurgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel, Julian Nagelsmann. You can see it, right? Yeah. You don't have that in boxing. What happens in boxing is some guy just goes on the internet and makes loads of notes in a textbook and then goes, right, I'm ready to coach people. No experience, no, no like lineage in the sport, no apprenticeship, sir. You just show up and you go, I'm training people. And because you get put in, like you said, and you get put in with so much dross, you actually give the impression you know what you're doing until you come up against someone who's got a proper coach in their corner. And, you know, by that point, you've ruined the boxer because he's never going to get back what he just lost. But this happens over and over and over again. And no one talks about it because see these guys that get it, they're all right. Yeah, he's a good old boy or he's got too much money behind him. And no one calls it out. Most of the trainers you see are a joke. That's why I keep saying it. I say it publicly. Adam Booth is a hoax. Like, he's a hoax. He's, he's the biggest blagger in boxing history for me in this country, Adam Booth. You know, and he's not the only one. Dave Caldwell, been blagging it for how long? Who has Dave taken where you're like, Dave really looked after this guy? Yeah, he comes in, doesn't he? He grooms you via social media and he goes, look, I can help you with your left hook. Oh, I can help you do this. I can help you do that. And he does that. And he just sniffs around for these opportunities. <clears throat> And he's not the only one. There are other names I could mention, but it gets too political at that point. You get all of these guys. And the, the thing about these guys is they have no humility. Like when I was at, at, the, at Wembley, I was there, right? And I saw Angel Fernandez. And I remember Angel when he was training Isaac, right? We, we, we used to get along. Don't know why we don't anymore. But he couldn't acknowledge anyone. He was just there with Richard's entourage, just hiding in the background. Um, he comes over to say hello to Rico on fight night. Can't even acknowledge anyone else. And I said, these are the sort of wastrels you have in boxing, teaching people. Terry's rule number one, and 
mark my words, and I promise to God this is the truest thing I'm going to say on this podcast. The character of the coach is reflected in the fighting style of the boxer. If you're a bitch, your boxer will be a bitch. I promise to God. If you are a winner, your boxer will be a winner. So when you see all these guys acting like tramps and slags and so on and so forth, yeah, just know that's what their fighters are being like. Because all a coach can do is impart what he is into you. You can't be any better than that. So when I saw how Angel was moving, I worried for Richard. And I said, I don't know how far Richard's going to go with this guy. And then I messaged Isaac and I said, man, you dodged a bullet on that one. Because it was just disrespectful. And that's the sort of thing, like, you know, we talk about not having Twitter beef or online beef. This isn't beef. I'm just stating my opinion based on what I saw. And if I saw him in person, I'd say the exact same thing to him. No issue with that. But we need to get rid of that in boxing. Because there's too much of that in the training level. There's too much of that at the promotional level. There's too much of that at the managerial level. All of these guys talk tough on IFL. They all talk tough when the camera's on them, right? They all talk tough online. They don't talk tough in person. They don't. Yeah? And that's why I keep telling you, boxing's a sport of insecure little men. Yeah, that's why you get guys like Penfold and you get guys like Sam Jones popping up. These little dudes who just want to be around big, hard men. Get rid of it. Yeah, just get rid of all of it. And it's, it's, it's the Twitterati who are to blame for this. Because who, who puts batteries in Adam Booth's back? Because it's not me. Listen, you have a rare talent like Ellie Scottney. And she leaves you. Now, I know the reasons why I can't go into it publicly. That's her story to tell. But when she's leaving you, and she's like, she was so amped up to be trained by Adam Booth when, when she realized it was a hoax, and she went to a real trainer. And Shane is a real trainer. I'm going to give Shane his juice. Shane's a real trainer because he's in the gym working with his people. So I salute him for that. But there are other people, and they're clowns in the sport, you know? <sighs> And that's why the sport's screwed up, because no one's calling these guys out for being scumbags and saying, maybe you might want to find another sport. Love it. Uh, it's your rant now, Martin. We've both had ours. Uh, Edward Goodnet. Oh, what's happened? Andy, the name ring any bells to you? No, of course no. Right, because as, as a sport, when somebody falls on hard times as a result of the sport, the sport does fucking nothing to support and remember and help those people. Edward Gutknecht was the uh, German fella who fought George Groves um, and ended up um, on life support afterwards. And he was promoted by the Sauerlands at the time. Um, anyway, that's remembering Edward Gutknecht. He's still alive. I'm not, I'm not remembering him in that sense. Um, Bullet. He was. Um, he's not in a good way still. He's. Uh, he suffered brain injuries. Uh, he was in a coma. Uh, that was in 2016. 2016, that fight. Um, Terry, you're. You're fairly uh, legally minded. Field Fisher. Do you know Field Fisher, the solicitors? Used to be Field Fisher Waterhouse, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So have you have you read into any of this? No. Okay, I'll send you a link over after. Ooh. 
Um, so this was, I'm trying to find a day. I can't see it. Um, a case study that was put onto their website. Someone pointed me at it a little while back. High court approval for boxer Edward Goodnecks claim against British Boxing Board. Wow. Yeah, right? So let's have a quick look through this. I'm not going to read all of it, but it says, a compromise in Keith Barrett, Keith Barrett being the solicitor, um, lawyer, whatever the right term is, against the British Boxing Regulator, the British Boxing Board of Control Limited, so the company, on behalf of German boxer Edward Goodnecht, was approved in the High Court recently. During the case, Keith sought factual and expert evidence in both the UK and Germany. Goodnecht, now 39, was catastrophically injured and left in a coma uh, after fighting against George Groves. Details of the agreement between the two parties are confidential at the request of the defendant, but the court heard the extent of Mr. Goodnecht's, the good bits coming on this, but well, I say the good bit, the terrible bit, really, but the juicy bit. Uh, heard the extent of Mr. Goodnecht's physical and mental injuries and that the BBB of C accepted in its response to the claim that it owed Mr. Goodnecht a duty of care when he arrived in the UK from Germany two days before the fight. Um, Mr. Goodnecht came to suffer an extensive subdural hematoma, which was left, has left him lacking capacity and with extensive, extensive acquired neurological deficit. Uh, here we go. His case was that the BBB of C should have been aware that Mr. Goodnecht was already suffering a brain injury from a previous bout and should never have been passed as fit to fight. Oh, my God. Jesus. Holy fuck. Oh. They didn't give a fuck, as usual, and they just passed him into the fight. They pass him to fight. Now, they, in theory, what should happen is you get the medical records of an overseas fighter in advance of them even being approved to fight. Like, they shouldn't be boarding a plane until you've seen all that evidence of their, their background, their medical details. Now, ultimately, I'm sure some people will say, well, the responsibility lays at the feet of the fighter who knows that he's had a brain injury and therefore... Well, legally, that's not true, apparently. So. <laughs> well, it's a duty of care aspect, isn't it? It's a duty of care. You're the board, you're the regulator. You've got rules in place that say we will check through the medical paperwork of an individual before we sign off for them to fight. Yeah. That's Field Fisher, Terry. The, for those that don't know, Field Fisher, uh, they have about a 1,000 lawyers in the UK. I've looked up some information on They're not like some no-win-no-fee yeah. no no company. This is a case study on their website. So, uh, but it's really interesting, actually, because what the board are doing now, I don't know if it's true in all cases, when you're going for your licence renewal, if they feel that there's any gaps in your medical history, they're asking for them before they approve you. So you're going to see a lot more people decline for licences now. Yeah, well, it happened already to some degree a couple of years back. Like, they turn away a lot of the brain scans. There's, like, any slight difference between the two. They'll get an expert opinion on it. So the, yeah, so the, problem, with, the problem is, if you took most men, because uh, I, I know in relation to men, if you took most men between the ages of 25, and 18 and 25, and scanned their brains, you'd find something that would give you concern. Not necessarily from a medical perspective, but just something that looked different, Right. So you almost have to be able to, and it's kind of like the whole COVID thing, you have to know what's a bad risk and what's a good risk. Because some of it's just the brain growing and maturing and just the nature of growth. 
but some of it's something more sinister. But the border definitely being harder on wanting to know have you know, how many times you've been knocked out in the amateurs and all. They, they want more details now. And maybe they knew that this was coming. So they have to be more hardline now on what checks they do on, on people they license and people they're allowed to fight in this country. I think it's a good thing. I, I, I agree. I agree completely. But I think what surprises me, and there's not a date on this case study, is that when you then see Hamza Shiraz punch Bradley Skeet on the ground and the referee doesn't disqualify him and the board come out and go, we took the referee's account of it and that's kind of okay. And it's not our jurisdiction. It was a WBO um, fight, blah, blah, blah. When there's literally the wording in there about the duty of care to the boxer. And if the board aren't willing to put their balls on the line and say, actually, Steve Gray got this one wrong. Actually, Steve Gray needs to sit out for a few weeks. You're still not applying the duty of care that you've settled a case on. But until until it costs them more one way than it does the other, they won't care. But ultimately, there's no deterrent, is there? Like, if Hamza Shira yeah. kicked out of that ring, they haven't overturned the decision, the referee hasn't been put on the bench for, you know, a few weeks yes. to maybe tune up. Um, there's no repercussion to the bad outcome. Bradley Skeet takes a loss. Hamza Shiraz takes a win. Steve Gray gets some work the next week. There's no repercussion to what happened. But eventually, eventually, when when the... So Sorry, man. The point is that then you're going to end up with, what's to stop somebody doing that again next week? Because the precedent has been set that it's okay to punch people when they're on the floor, when they're already down. Because you're not going to get disqualified. The referee isn't going to get told off for it. And you can still claim the win, even if that bloke can't get up or lady can't get up. The board are setting themselves up for a massive issue there because you've got people that are laying on the floor on one knee, not defending themselves, not bracing themselves. And they're taking additional one, two in Shiraz's. Like, that's horrific because you're going to end up with longer term CTE. Say Bradley Skeet ends up with CTE in 15, 20 years time. What's to stop him coming back and going, right, that's down to the fact Hamza Shiraz fucking nailed me when I was on my knee, not ready to fight? Until they suffer the repercussions of those, of those claims, there's financially, you know, forget everything else, but financially there's no reason for them to care. And until they are, until they're almost paralysed, maybe dissolved by legal cases, claiming so much money from them and then being vindicated in court to the point where they just dissolve themselves and have to be rebirthed in some fashion, they're not going to, they don't, well, clearly they're not going to care because they haven't cared. I mean, when when did Fowler not uh, punch that lad when he was on his knees? Uh, Which one? Well, it was one of his first, I think it might have been his first professional fight. Yeah, yeah, it was about three or four years back. So it's been happening, that sort of thing has been happening and it's a case of, well, if we don't make a massive fuss about this now, then, you know, why not? Why not just crack on with it? And until it, it always, it's always the case, like rugby and like NFL, for example, they brought in unnecessary roughness in certain, because blokes were wiping each other out with challenges when they were already off the field. And it was just creating injuries. And then subsequent to that, creating lawsuits. And it's like, okay, now we'll bring it down a notch. We'll install restrictions within the sport to stop players from getting unnecessarily roughed up. And that'll have to happen in rugby. It'll have to happen in football. I, I'm As much as I loathe the idea of it, one day I can see 
heading being outlawed in football. Yeah, it will be. You look at every every serious sport either has concussion protocols going on and or research into to brain damage. So so look at rugby now, right? You you touch an opponent's head, it's a red card. Yeah. Like red card. The, the only mitigation you can have is if they duck into the contact. Right? But and and so you had a lot of these professional, remember this professional rugby players complaining that they now had to tackle properly the way you were taught to. <laughs> well, oh, the waist. Yeah, yeah. They're like, well, right. wait, why do I have to tackle below the waist? It's like, oh, <laughs> you don't get sent off. So r- rugby's actually off its own back because I think they knew this was coming. So stuff like you can't tip people in the air. You can't take people out in the air. You can't make contact with the head. When you hit a ruck, you have to do so safely. And if you don't, you will be yellow carded or sent off. There are a lot of things they're doing. And, and you know what happens? You get these old timers going, ah, it's not the game that I remember. I used to love it when you could just kick someone in the head. Yeah. And there's all poor Doddy Weir with uh, motor neuron disease and all this sort of stuff. you got um, Alex Popham and Michael Lipman and all these guys now talking about CTE. And these guys are like, it's not the game I remember. You're like, fuck's sake. You know? Like, let's start protecting people. Now, what would be interesting from this thing is, have they established what the exact duty of care the board have is? Because if they've done that, there might be other people who come out the woodwork. I know. I know. And I think that's where... I think there's a big problem there in that the board can't... Like, as you say, are there others historically that um, that will come out of the woodwork and try and make a claim? Possibly. Does it, does it matter if they've defined the duty of care? Because ultimately, whatever that definition is can then be argued against and that, do you know what I mean? Can be, well, you haven't, your duty of care doesn't extend far enough. There's a, there's a wider context to it of what's the duty of care of the board? Let's go back to Lucas Brown. You know when Lucas Brown um, got wiped out and Terry had kind of alluded to it at the time that Lucas Brown had been knocked out in sparring the week before. Um he should never have been in that ring that night. Not if he's been knocked out in sparring the week before. Who is meant to be looking after that? Who's meant to be policing it? Like the people in the gym, the board, who? It's not clear. In that case, it should have been Brown's management. Like I gave everyone that free tip. And everyone got the free tip back the knockout in the fight. Yeah. But I mean, there's, there's so many things that like, if you open up the can of worms as the board and say, right, our duty of care is to make sure fighters are fit to fight um how are we going to research the impact that goes on in sparring that goes on in all through the training camp if you start opening that can of worms you cancel the sport because you go this is fucking ludicrous like protect make uh, impact measuring gum shields they're starting to gather data now from fighters around um the damage they take in inspiring so when you get hit you can then download the data afterwards and it will show you the impact of the head um, I think that it's relatively formative um, and it's not kind of a finished product, I don't think, although it's, you know, it's, it's a product that's out there. Um, they're still refining it. But the more and more that data that comes up, the more and more I suspect you'd look at it and go, well, this shouldn't be a sport. It shouldn't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, because but even if you literally explain boxing to an alien, these guys, these two guys punch each other until one of them's unconscious. For the most part, I realise you get other disqualifications and other ends to the fight and whatnot. But the goal is to render the other bloke unconscious. So you go like, 
Well, that's not healthy, is it? No, but we don't care about that. I imagine the aliens would say we fight to the death. <laughs> but if you start to gather that data and you can table that data and say, this is the impact of sparring. This is the impact on fight night. It's X percent higher. Da, da, da. This is if we then graph that out across a 15-year career, 30 fight maximum, as Terry suggested, this is the potential damage you're doing to yourself over that period of time. The sport just gets cancelled there and then on the spot. So so to, to bring us back to rugby, they use those gum shields in rugby now. Yeah. And where rugby is headed now is reducing the number of high-impact sessions, like the NFL. So in the NFL, I think you can only do contact once a week, and it's for a limited amount of time. Because what they're realizing is you can sustain these kind of traumas if you allow the body to then recover from them. But what you can't do is you can't do eight rounds of sparring on Tuesday and then four rounds of sparring on Thursday and expect to have recovered from Tuesdays. So you're just compounding the issue. So it's, I think where the research will probably go is, is there an acceptable load? Yes, no. If there is an acceptable load, what does that look like? And then what would that mean for training? And I don't, that's the answer we're not at yet. Where we're still looking at, you know, what, what's the current, what do we think the load is? What's the impact on the brain? Is this acceptable? Yes or no? We know where the future of the sport's going. But two blokes fighting on a train platform where you can only punch each other in the chests. <laughs> Martin, we pioneered this. <laughs> I punched someone into a bush that night. Uh, but the fact is, is, it's the board. As the people, go back to that duty of care aspect, the board should be the ones driving this research. But it's turkeys voting for Christmas, isn't it? Like, they're not going to plough money into something that ultimately the end result might be, you shouldn't be here, lads. You well, it's until their feet are held to the fire legally and then they go oh no wait, wait 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 we could do this and then someone else you know until that that it requires, that buff, it requires that, a burning platform for something to actually change yeah and they get sh- shuffled along oh okay right you can't exist in this okay we could exist here yeah meantime, not there either but in the meantime robert smith will tell us all that the fighters have to do is make weight properly and if they make weight properly everything will be fine that was his you view you see in football like I'm not a historian of football at all, but when hacking was outlawed in the laws of football, there was people at the time going, ah, oh, it's the death of the sport. You can't not hack. And it's like, right, okay. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure it was hacking ever encouraged. No, I don't know if it was, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't illegal. Like at the very outset of it, you could just hack people. And it, there's all yeah. kinds of, I just one that springs to mind, but there's all kinds behind, of, wasn't it? All kinds of things and all kinds of sports that at the time they've been allowed and then post being, the, the moment the judgment is made to take them out of the sport, there's a lot of people that go, the sport's dead, what a mess, you can't get rid of that. And then the sport finds a way to improve. And it's and always the way. Then you look back 20 years later and go, that was mental. Yeah. Watching some of the tackles that go in in 1990s football now, you go, oh, Jesus, how is that okay? Yeah, it's like an Andrew Robertson greatest hit. <laughs> oh, it's, it's uh, boxing's boxing is for my money is in as big a mess as it ever has been and that's for the reason i'm just not interested anymore i think in our lifetime we will see either a ban or restrictions on combat sports agree agree heavily heavily restricted i just I, I cannot understand how ufc allow that whole punching people in the head whilst on the floor until oh. the ref goes yep 
But do you know why? Because they don't punch very hard. Yeah. I, I know what you mean, though, and it's a hammer fist stuff, isn't it? When I'm yeah. Like well, when someone's raining in, basically, if the ref just, I don't know, if the ref had cardiac arrest at the point where the bloke got knocked, knocked to the floor and no one was able to stop the fight, the bloke would just be like, bang, 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 ref, what's going on? The ref's clutching his chest and he's like, well, that isn't the sign that I've won. Just keep hammering around this bloke's head until it turns to fucking meringue. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck are they doing? Uh, fucking face looks like eating mess and just like hammering it and the ref was like, clutching his chest. It's just, it's stupid. It's just, oh, it's just stupid. Uh, what else have we got to discuss? I need to go get my dinner soon, man. Yeah, I need to. Uh, me too. I, I have nothing else to discuss. I, I could go on some more uneducated rants if you want. No, because your language is horrific. Yeah. Well, that's because <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> What's Terry's any other business section like today? None. <laughs> No, mate, I'm I'm so zeroed in on just Christmas mode at the moment. I'm just like, uh. and also, <laughs> every to be honest, because I'm falling out of love with boxing, like my enthusiasm to explore the outer reaches of it are kind of at zero. Like I look at it and I go, understandable. You know, why am I wasting my time? That's how I feel sometimes. Why am I wasting my time? And you still put a lot of hours into it, man, don't you? Like outside of the Fitzroy Lodge stuff, the the podcast, the hours you put in with Porky. There's a lot of time that you still invest into it. Yeah, but the, the, the relationship. But the good thing is, like, if you look at the podcast, I can be from start to finish, like, as in from thinking of doing it to getting it up and uploaded, it can be an hour. So that's fine. Like, I've, you know, I've recorded in some mad situations before. Porky's thing, I, I mean, he's driving that, so I'm more of a passenger, which is cool. Um, the Fitzroy Lodge stuff, I've just started walking back from. Now, there are all a number of personal reasons why, but it's also this reality that a lot of people don't get where the sport needs to go. And I'm not wasting my time doing antiquated things that didn't work then and don't work now. And I was just like, you know what? Let me go find another project elsewhere. That's how I feel at the moment, being honest with you. I'm just like, oh, God. But I balance that off against watching so many of the guys that made boxing fun for me, finally fulfilling their potential. I'm watching Dan Aziz, I'm watching Spider Richards. Uh, just all the, you know, you, you're starting to see all of these guys now, Big Fraser Clark and all, you know, that makes me happy, watching those guys succeed and thrive. That makes me happy. And so I have to kind of balance it too off against each other. But on a personal level, I just, I, I look at it and I go, the landscape's bleak. And when Craig Richards big boyed our first live show. Yes. <laughs> He's like, listen, dickheads. That was, that, was, that was essentially what he did. And then gave us both barrels. He's like, all right, easy, mate. But this is our first live show. <laughs> no, no, he, 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 he gets it now. I actually, oh God, I went past that pub the other day. Man. I always get like a happy feeling when I walk past that pub. It was the Oxford Arms. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. That. That was cool. We should just basically just hunker down there and just done one every year. Just limited 40, 47 tickets. We're the only podcast that's sold out 100% of his live shows. Yeah. <laughs> Deal with that. Who are those two fucking mongs that put on about uh, like 50 fucking locations? <laughs> okay, I'm retiring from boxing podcasts after this. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Jake Wood? Yeah. Spastics. Fucking hell. Oh my God. <laughs>
Hey, Martin, what's this doing for your, your brand profile at Pitch? <laughs> this is going <laughs> to... I'm going to take this to investors. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up now. I'm ready to end it. Not myself. I'm ready to end the podcast. Yeah, just had to, just had to check. This is, a, this is a, it's a delicate time for that. You know, if you guys are stuck, remember, you can always contact the campaign against living miserably calm who have actually grown a lot haven't they they have yeah. they have no thanks to andy <laughs> hey. i've never seen him so despairing what <laughs> are your 1970s dictionary man yeah sorry i'm just i'm just i've rough riled myself up i'm just annoyed now <laughs> Oh man, no, that we needed that. I don't feel like I did. I need my dinner and I need Andy to not keep using horrendous language. Yeah. Does anyone else we need to stick it to? Or is that is that it pretty much? Please don't let me off the chain again. I'm done. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Now you understand why we are the the originators. <laughs> Until next year. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a, there'll be any call for an Easter podcast. <clears throat> nah, me and Andy need to come down to London when um, situations allow it. We just need to come out for a beer, man. And, uh... hey, yeah, this this base here, ready, ready, ready and waiting. You know, yeah. I don't drink that much anymore, so I've just got bins of alcohol in, in the spare room. Awesome. I'm good. I'll be there that's, a, that's a war chest. <laughs> Literally. But yeah, no, we need to uh, then get some boxing folk out for a drink one night. And, uh, when situations allow it and scenarios. Yeah. Uh, but look, anyone who's listened, retrospective apology for Andy's uh, horrific language. No, I'll apologise as well. Sorry for that. I've just, um, I'm slightly drunk and I don't care. So I, I care about your feelings, I guess, but not enough to have... Yeah. Not enough to avoid about my language prior to saying whatever I said. Uh, hey, hey, Webby Vows, how's Bear? Uh, yeah, he's all right. Um, he still yeah. barks horrifically at the door when everyone, everyone knocks. Um, Does he still fear it's Terry? Say again? You still fear it's Terry? Is that why he's barking at it? Yeah, I think that's what's got the fear into him with his... Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was that? What was that bloke's name? Oh, big dog with bride, big chap with bride. No, the old dog, the dog trainer master used to go. Dit, dit. Milano, Caesar Milan, Caesar Milan. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, but these things are important, man. You know, how is he at the door? Is his tail wagging? Is his tail down? Yeah, is he confident. He always barks and then his tail wags at the same time. Like he's just, he's just like, I know I probably should bark, but I'm really looking forward to snipping some crotch. That's what he just. That's what he loves most. <laughs> you taught him well, man. <laughs> Do what daddy does. <laughs> Weird when my dad turns up. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> right, let's wrap up, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, <clears throat> let's wrap up. Like I'm feeling Andy's dad should have. Um, oh god! <laughs> don't lower yourself to my level. <laughs> I've only been in one person. Yeah, that's true. Right, <laughs> right okay. I'm done. Right. What else done? Pleasure. Yeah. Terry. <clears throat> Cheers.
Cheers, guys. Have a great Christmas, everyone, and everyone listening. Have a fantastic Christmas, too. Yeah, have a great one, people. Enjoy. Merry Christmas. Goodbye. Bye. Watch it.